You're listening to the Fellowship on Broadway podcast from First Baptist Nashville. Hey, this is Tim. We had a quick technical difficulty at the beginning of my message. And so you basically missed me telling everyone at the very beginning that I wanted to imagine themselves in their car. And then I noted that I drive a Prius, and I'd rather imagine myself and my friend Rob's Tesla. And so I gave them permission to imagine themselves in any awesome car that they wanted to. And that was the the very beginning setup. So here we go to the message. That's true. And so I imagine myself right now in, in, in Rob's Tesla. Now, you're behind the wheel of your car, and you're getting ready to go on a road trip with a bunch of, of friends or family members. You got that in your mind? You're going to go on a road trip, you, and, and there's so many of you that you're going to have to take several cars. So I want you to imagine yourself in the car. There's a couple of other cars. It's a bunch of people. And if you're like me, then you've already strategically and very quietly made sure that the right people are going to be in your car. You want the fun people for the road trip in your car, or you want the least annoying people. For the road trip, am I right? Have, has have you ever been on a road trip with someone who just won't shut up? Yeah. You don't want that person on your car, in your car on this trip. You're behind the wheel. You're in charge. Okay, so now it's time to hit the road, and you've decided that you're all going to stay together, and you're going to caravan together to your location. It's a few hours away. Which car are you? Are you the lead car, or are you the car that's following behind? Raise your hand if you need to be the lead car, that you need to be the one out front. Only a few. Raise your hand if you would rather follow. Okay. There's actually, okay, okay, that's impressive. If you have to follow, let me, okay, let's go one step further. If you have to follow, are you the person who has your phone out with your map and you're making sure that that person doesn't take you the wrong way? Yeah, that's, that's right. I'm the guy who has the phone out. I'm like, I know where the toll roads are. I know where the construction zone is, and if that person go literally last week, we went on a trip, and AP and I took off. We had two cars going to Gatlinburg for this big event for the Tennessee Baptist Convention, and she literally, leaving the park, parking lot, she turned this way. And we had not agreed to anything, but I looked at her car, and I thought, I'm not going that way. So I went the other way, out of the parking lot, and we never saw her car again until we got to Gatlinburg. Too much pressure, Too much pressure. I got it. Here's, here's my point. It can be really hard to follow someone else's lead, can it? Whether it's a road trip or, or in another area of life, we are hardwired with our own, our own instincts and our own ideas, our own plans, our own preferences. And it can be hard when we have everything figured out. It can be hard to follow someone else's lead. And for the past several weeks, we've been exploring the words of Easter. So we started it in chapter 1 of Mark's Gospel, and we looked at the words um, time. And repent. And then we jumped to John chapter 13 and we looked at what it meant for Jesus to be our teacher. Today I want to go back to Mark chapter 1 and our word is follow. So open your Bibles to, to Mark 1. We're going to start in verse 16. And you'll recall that the Gospel of Mark is um, the earliest of the four, four Gospels. And Mark doesn't begin the way that Matthew and Luke do with Jesus' birth or his childhood. He jumps right into his adult life, right into his ministry. And so the verse that we used for the, the first two weeks in this series was Mark 1.15. And it says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The decisive moment, Mark says, the appointed time, the Greek word was kairos. That time has arrived. 
Jesus, in this verse, is announcing at the very beginning of his ministry nothing less than the climax of human history. It is the critical moment of fulfillment where God's kingdom is breaking in on earth as it is in heaven, and it's happening through Jesus. So let's look at what happens next. Read verses 16 through 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in a boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Mark 1, 16 through 20. It's probably a familiar story. It's, it's Jesus calling his first disciples. In some way, ways, it seems pretty simple and straightforward, but there's actually a lot going on here. So I want to just dissect this a little bit. I want to look at the phrase that Jesus says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And then I want to, I want to examine that from a couple of different angles. And then I want to examine the response of these four, these four men that he called. So the first two words that Jesus says are, follow me. Follow me. And it's not just, hey, hey, come here. It's deeper than that. In the Bible, in the, Greek, in the Greek New Testament, the word follow occurs 90 times. And 79 of those 90 times, all but 11 of them, occur in the Gospels, which we know are, are focused on Jesus. So biblically, this word follow is deeply connected to Jesus. But again, it's not just the idea of walking after him, it's, it's, it's also deeply connected to the idea of something called discipleship, which is why we call them the disciples. It's a word that is frequently used in the Gospels to describe attachment to Jesus, surrender to his call, and acceptance of his leadership. Attachment, surrender, and acceptance. Here's the definition from the dictionary of disciple. It is a follower or student of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. Keyword follower. A disciple is someone who follows. So by saying follow me in this text, Jesus was calling these fishermen to become his disciples, his followers, to attach themselves to him, to surrender to his call, and to accept his leadership over their lives. This was actually a very unique thing for Jesus to do in this context, uh, first century Jewish culture in, in, in the land that they were living in. Because in those days, the common pattern was for the religious students, the, one who, the ones who wanted to study the Hebrew law and study under a rabbi, they would seek out the rabbi and say, I want to learn from you. The student would go to the teacher, but Jesus is flipping this thing around. Jesus authoritatively calls his disciples. It's not the same. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a, a German theologian, says this, discipleship is not an offer that man makes to Christ. To be his followers is not something that we say, God, I, here, I'm going I'm to offer to be your follower. No, no, no. Jesus calls us. Jesus says, follow me. 
That's, that's where it begins in, in Mark 1, 16 through 20. And what does Jesus say next? Verse 17 says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. That's so, Jesus had humor. It was a pun. He sees fisher, fishermen and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's so cute. <laughs> As I bet you can guess, there's something deeper going on here. It's not just a play on words. Pastor Frank and I this week, as we studied this text together and we, we looked at different commentaries, every sing, I probably looked at over uh, at least a half dozen, maybe a dozen different commentaries, every single commentary writer pointed out the same thing about this phrase, fishers of men. And that's the fact that this was a common phrase from the Old Testament. The idea of fishing for people was something that would have been familiar in this time. It's used throughout, particularly the prophetic literature of the Old Testament. They talked about fishing for people in the sea. But know this, every single time that it's mentioned in the Old Testament, it's mentioned in the context of judgment. Fishing for people is God judging his people. But when Jesus uses this phrase, we we know where this story ends. It's not about judgment. It's about salvation. Jesus was about drawing people to himself, not casting them aside. And so Jesus is saying, again, I'm not waiting for you to come to me. I'm calling you. And the disciples may not even know this yet, that he's, he's going to turn the script here. That we're going to talk about salvation instead of judgment. And this is where we realize that this passage, where Jesus calls these disciples, is connected to the verse we read a few weeks ago. So let's read it again, Mark 1.15. It's the pronouncement of Jesus, the very beginning of his ministry. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In most English translations of the Bible, the four verses we're looking at today, 16 through 20, are grouped in their own little subheading. Jesus calls his disciples, or Jesus calls the disciples, or the calling of the disciples, whatever it is. They're separated from the verses before it. But Mark didn't do that. Mark didn't write subheadings. Mark didn't have verses. All of that was added later. So when Mark wrote verse 15, he wrote it right after that. He wrote 16 through 20. It's all connected together. Do you see what I'm getting at? They go together. So so Jesus announces that the time has come. The critical moment for the arrival of the kingdom of God is ready to break in. And then he interrupts some dudes who are fishing and says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They're right next to each other. So this call to become Fishers of people is intricately connected to the reality of God's kingdom being at hand. It's intricately connected to to Jesus saying it's time to repent. But it's not about repentance because of judgment. It's about repentance because of salvation. Salvation is here, Jesus says. William Lane, uh, a writer, says, The immediate function of those called to be fishers of men is to accompany Jesus as witnesses to the proclamation of the nearness of the kingdom and the necessity to turn to God through radical repentance. You're fishing for fish, but I'm going to let you fish for people, and we're going to call them to repentance. We're going to call them to this kingdom. We're going to tell them that it's about salvation. Everything is changing. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then immediately Jesus goes to Simon and Andrew and James and John and says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And this is where it gets really interesting, right? Because they did it. They dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. They obeyed him. 
Verse 18, Simon and Andrew, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 20, James and John, they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. These four men responded to Jesus' authoritative call with immediate, and dare I say radical, obedience. And so when we explore the phrase, when we understand the deeper meaning of what Jesus meant by follow me, that, that it was about discipleship, it was about, it was about following him in a different kind of way, when we, when we feel the weight of what it means to become fishers of men, their obedience is truly remarkable that they would know what he was saying and that they would drop their nets and follow him. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, let's go see a movie. Oh, I got a great slice of pizza over here. You've got to check it out. Follow me means true discipleship. Follow me means Jesus saying, I want you to attach yourselves to me. I want you to surrender to my call. I want you to accept my leadership over your life. And according to Mark, when he said this to them, they didn't hesitate. And let's not pretend that this didn't cost them anything. Simon and Andrew left their nets. And as much as I don't want to become a fisherman, and I would have been like, yeah, I'll do anything but this. (laughs) That was their job. It was their livelihood. It was their identity. And they left all of that behind to follow Jesus. As if to go one step further, when he calls James and John, they not only drop their identity and their welfare, but they leave behind their own father. Do you feel the weight of this? They are leaving behind who they are, what they know, the family that they love. They are leaving it behind to attach themselves to Jesus and surrender to his call and to accept his leadership over their life. Their obedience to him in this moment was immediate, it was radical, and it was remarkable. And so, having gone through this text and and, and Seeing what's going on here, we now are able to hold it up as a a mirror with which we can reflect on our own lives and reflect on ourselves, right? And that's where this gets a little bit uncomfortable. It's because we have to ask ourselves if we're responding to Jesus in a similar way. Over the past few years, maybe the past decade or so, I've heard a lot of Christians um, begin to, they stopped referring to themselves as Christians and started referring to them as Christ followers. Have you heard that? I've, I've done it. You know, we, it's, I think it's this um, reaction, I won't say overreaction, it's a reaction to the fact that there's something called cultural Christianity, where a lot of people call themselves a Christian, and when they say that, it doesn't actually mean that they're following Jesus. I'm a Christian, someone says. And what does that mean? Well, it means, well, I, I believe in God, and I'm a good person, and I go to church every now and Sometimes on Easter, I go to church every now and then. But it doesn't really have anything to do with Jesus or following him or letting him be our teacher or any of that. It's just, I'm a Christian. That's that's who I am. And so we start to say things like, I am a Christ follower because we want to delineate that we're not just a nominal Christian. We're not just a cultural Christian. We are someone who tries to follow Christ. We want to follow Christ. But here's the deal. Are we really following Christ? Are we following Jesus the way that it's described in this text? 
Are we, are we inviting him to be our teacher and to teach us? Are we saying that we are going to be his disciples, that we are going to follow him, that we are going to attach ourselves to him? How many times can I say this? Attach, surrender, accept his leadership. Is that what our lives look like as followers of Jesus? Or do we say to Jesus, hey, you know what, Jesus? You drive in the lead car, and I'm going to stay back here and look really closely at my map and make sure that everything goes the way I want it to. I got to sit in my office this week. I don't like preaching these texts. I have to sit in my office this week and recognize that I don't see the radical and remarkable obedience in my life that these men are exhibiting here. But you know what? I still hear the call. I hear Jesus saying, follow me, Tim. It's not a call for a select few. It's not just for people who found themselves as pastors. Jesus didn't announce that the kingdom of God was near and announce that it was time to repent and then go find all the religious leaders who were waiting on the new king. He went and interrupted a bunch of dudes who were fishing and said, follow me. And what if it's as simple as this? They didn't ignore him. Dude walks up and says, follow me. And they're like, yeah, whatever, dude. See you later. We got some fishing to do. They didn't ignore him. And what if that's what it means for us? What if we just stopped ignoring Jesus' call? And when we heard the words, follow me, we chose to do it. We chose to obey. How many times does Jesus invite us to follow him every single day and we ignore it because we're too busy or we're looking at our own plans? It's that moment we have it every single day where someone from school or for someone from work or, or at the, the gas station or the grocery store, some, we, we see them, we go, that person needs a, a kind word right now. That's Jesus saying, follow me. Or when you're having that argument with your spouse and you've got the perfect comeback to put them in their place and to let them know that they're wrong. And there's that catch in your spirit that says, maybe that's not what I should say right now. That's Jesus saying, follow me. It's every moment where we're, we're given the opportunity to, to be generous or kind or humble or gracious or compassionate. It's Jesus saying, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. And for every moment that I do it, that I obey immediately, there's a myriad of moments where I don't. I'm too busy, Jesus. I've, I've got something going on right now. I don't have time to do that. I, I've got a plan, Jesus. Can, can, you come, can you ask me on Sunday? I've given you Sunday, man. Sunday is all yours. No. When Jesus says, follow me, a call that he is saying to all of us, the only right response is immediate, radical, and remarkable obedience. What's really impressive is that they did, it, they did it in this moment, not knowing what he was about to do. That he would go to the cross. That he wouldn't stay dead. That he would defeat sin and death. The only right response, knowing what we know, is obedience to the call to follow him. 
Following Jesus is the foundation of true discipleship. Following Jesus means following his lifestyle, means living the life that he taught us to live. It means saying, I'm going to align my life with this kingdom that Jesus is pronouncing, and that's going to be the number one objective of my life. It means surrendering. It means giving up control of our lives to him. Following Jesus means that on the road trip of life, we say, Jesus, you're the lead car, and just like the disciples toss their nets, I'm going to toss my map outside the car, and I'm just going to keep my eyes on you. I don't need anything else in front of me but you, Jesus. My plans, my identity, my job, my family, whatever it is, I don't need that. I just need you. This is the kind of remarkable faith that Jesus is calling us to. It's not easy. But in light of Easter, in light of what he's done for us, it's the only makes sense. We have to attach ourselves to him. We have to surrender to his call on our lives. And we have to accept his leadership. Follow me, Jesus says. Jesus. Jesus, I confess that there are so, so many moments where I choose to, to follow myself instead of you. Even knowing what I know and knowing what you've done for me, I struggle. And so, would you help me to hear your voice in the chaos of my life and to, to choose to obey the call to follow you? Would you help us be a people who who choose that over and over and are willing to, to lay everything else down, Lord. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've never even responded to, to the first call of Jesus to follow. If that's you, if, if you've never said, I want to follow Jesus in my life, it, there's, we, we can put it into a formulaic prayer if you want to, but it's simply saying right now, Jesus, I choose to follow you. Jesus, I follow you. If you're there this morning, I, I would... I would be honored and I would really love for you to come find me. I'll be down here after this service. I'd love to talk to you and pray for you. Maybe you're like me and you've been a Christian for most of your life or for a while and you recognize that there's so many times where you just ignore the call. the same way you can just say right now Jesus I want to follow you Jesus help me respond to your voice Jesus we we surrender to you we attach ourselves to you we accept you as the leader and Lord of our lives 
Fellowship on Broadway is a worship service at First Baptist Church in downtown Nashville, and we'd love for you to join us on Sundays.